the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Hello, everybody. This is Tim Linville with the Construction Employers Association here for another episode of the Construction Employers Podcast. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to talk about government advocacy that CEA does. And with us today, we have Chris Sinagra and Paul Kudlak and Glenn Shoemate. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. Good morning. Chris and Paul, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Tim. Chris Sinagra, and I uh, have the privilege of working with CEA and government advocacy. Um, background is, uh, had been at the State House for um, Speaker Davidson, worked as a legislative aide, have worked uh, in the United States Senate office, and now in the private sector doing consulting for CEA and other clients. Great. Where do you live? I'm a Lakewood resident. All right. Right next door to me, I'm Rocky River. And this, by the way, anybody that's not familiar with CEA, we're located in Cleveland, Ohio. So this is all Ohio State business we're talking about today. Paul, what about you? Uh, good morning. Uh, Paul Cutlack. Uh, grew up in Euclid, Ohio, which is on the east side of Cleveland. Uh, but been a resident of Columbus, Ohio, since the early 1990s. Um, started working in politics as a volunteer at the Ohio Senate and worked my way up through various jobs, uh, including the legislative aide for Ohio Senator. Worked at various number of trade associations as a lobbyist and then became a, an independent lobbyist in the year 2000. Um, been representing CEA for about since that time, I believe, um, and uh, really enjoy the work with, that we do with them and uh, with Tim and Glenn's leadership. Uh, we have done some great things and we'll continue to do so. So you guys have represented CEA since roughly 2000? Mm-hmm. Almost 20 years now. And were you involved in CEA from the beginning of our legislative committee days? I from- believe so. Um, yeah, Um you know, there might have been a legislative advocacy committee prior to us um, representing CEA, but not that I know of. It really was started and really took off and was built upon by um, Rich DiGeronimo from Independent Excavating. Rich really was involved in other state trade associations, and I believe had a, a feeling and a belief that, that CEA could... Um, develop one of their own advocacy committees and really become a, a major player, not just locally, but within the state of Ohio when it comes to government affairs. So Rich really started it um, back in the early 2000s, yes. Mm. So at some point, it'd be interesting for you to, and you don't have to answer this right now, but what would have, what do you think were some of the largest accomplishments of uh, CA's legislative efforts uh, with your involvement. So I'll give you a few minutes as we're talking to maybe think about that versus come up with it right now. But I think yeah. that'd be interesting as we talk about 20 years nearly of true your advocacy and efforts on behalf of CEA. Yeah, for sure. And just, yeah. just so everybody knows, I'll chip in here myself. Uh, the legislative committee is open to all members of Construction Employers Association, and we meet quarterly at least and as needed in addition to that prior to the CEA board meetings and then any initiatives that the legislative committee will recommend are then brought to the board 
and voted on and ratified at the board level. So um, encourage anybody that's a part of CEA, um, contact Glenn or I to get involved with the legislative committee and uh, because we work on some, some pretty important things at the local and state of Ohio level. Um, what, yeah, that's one thing that I'd like to add is what you and Glenn have done, Tim, as far as building upon what Rich, I guess, started, um, you know, especially at the local level, you guys are more involved there. You know, we've always done state work and we've always been, um, uh, you know, in the know and working with state legislators and agencies and the governor's office, but you really have taken the local government uh, arm uh, to, to the next level. Yeah. Well, you know, you. Uh, thank you. Yes, certainly a large part of it, at least from my lens is um, we live in a relationship society and uh, we hear contractors say all the time and we understand it, that construction is very relationship oriented, but certainly uh, from our public affairs and legislative aspects, I mean, cultivating relationships with elected and public officials and those who um, are working on behalf of communities and cities and states um, sometimes need uh, at least dialogue and conversation, right, from from a different lens or different perspective, which I think CEA tries to provide uh, representing our members and more broadly the industry in terms of what activities and practices, policies may be best um you know, how to best formulate legislation or public advocacy. And so it has been, I think, both for Tim and I, um, I don't necessarily consider a labor. It is one of those things that we recognize is a very important role um, of cultivating relationships, not just when you are trying to advance a piece of something we want or the industry wants, but really even um, having them rely on us for institutional knowledge and practices and knowing that, you know, we're available to public and elected officials administrations, be it at a city, county, state level on topics that they may not spend their day to day on. Um, Mm -hmm. Tim and I are fortunate enough to have the opportunity to be surrounded by uh, hundreds of members and contractors and other associations and a broad spectrum and from owners to developers to institutions who are looking to develop construction. Um, Our members are, you know, there and on the front lines of that and have a perspective and mm-hmm. we try to probably uh, be that uh, voice. And I'd also say, certainly appreciate uh, the guidance tutelage and relationships, which Paul, you and Chris have uh, with the number of elected officials and agencies and that institutional knowledge of what has been and who is there and where are things, I think is very, very helpful for our, for our efforts. Mm-hmm. Well, you hit, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about educating local, local and state officials, legislators, um, because in Ohio, for those not in Ohio, you know, we have term limits uh, at the state legislature where a senator and a state rep can only serve eight years. So, you know, they rely, the legislators rely uh, more heavily on, you know, advocates um, like CEA and like what we do for CEA for that institutional knowledge and to educate um, on issues that uh, are important to the construction industry. Um, they really, you know, they can't, um, you know, there's a lot of issues that, that, they're, that they're dealing with and they need a voice uh, from various industries that they can count on. 
that are reputable that are going to give them the truth, um, whether or not you know you know they you know we we want to lay out the whole scenario to them on, on certain issues, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think they really appreciate that we give them um, that historical perspective and and why this may or may not be good or an issue may or may not be good for the industry. And Paul, I would agree with that. This is Chris. Um, the fact that contractors, Glenn, Tim, CEA's leadership, they know their issues better than anyone knows their issues. These are their day-to-day bread and butter. And so the ability to have members and Tim and Glenn be able to have that interaction with uh, their members on the various committees, that's very important because then you're adding the tangible expertise of these members to be able to talk to legislators, to communicate points, and they can work through us and the association to do that. And that has proved very fruitful because legislators like to hear from uh, the hardworking men and women that are putting people to work um, and hear their expertise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we get this all done? This relationship business, educating the legislators on policies that they may want, may make or choose not to make at our, at our urging. How do we get it done? You know, one of the things Chris and Paul, I was thinking a minute ago is it'd be interesting to understand process, right? So if an individual or even a legislator, right, wanted to advance a topic, a legislative priority, it's not as simple as, you know, thou shall do and it happens, right? So there's a lot of give and take in relationship building. It might be interesting for our listeners to understand. At the House level for the state of Ohio, there are thousands of bills. Glenn, as, as you make a point, introduced every year, uh, upper amount of hundreds of bills in the Senate, you know, depending on what year. Uh, and a majority of those bills don't make it uh, even out of committee. Um, some of them have a hearing or two. So it is a process. Um, and uh, you've, you've heard historical uh, descriptions of it being uh, like sausage, I'm making sausage. So um, the ability to have those relationships to begin with, to have a comfortable scenario to communicate what your issue is, is key to begin with, have solid research, policy knowledge, and then timing uh, and committee work uh, is huge because you have to have the right timing on a lot of these issues as they're being debated. So those are kind of a a couple quick things. And I know Paul can, can add to that. I know you hit hit it pretty well, Chris. I mean, establishing and building relationships, you know, because as I mentioned before, the era of term limits, you actually got to start before members are even elected to the general assembly. So you're identifying people who may win uh, in their November election and, and we'll be working in Columbus. So it's, it starts way before they even get to Columbus and, and having conversations and cups of coffee with them to discuss their positions on various issues. Um, you know, our, you know, one of our main issues is prevailing wage and making sure that Ohio has a strong prevailing wage law. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you start, you know, learning about them and their districts and what's important to them. And then when they get to Columbus, or if they get to Columbus, then you already have, you've already, the first time they see you isn't when they're here in Columbus. Um, and the first time you're, you're, you're asking them to support an issue or to possibly introduce a bill on their behalf, it's not the first time you're meeting them. So, I mean, it's definitely um, a process in, in gaining their trust and, and understanding why an issue is important to not just the construction industry, but to the state of Ohio. And a lot of them, you know, you, you determine what legislator may or may not be the best uh, champion for a, a, a bill that you would like them to introduce and what committees they sit on and the makeup of those committees and so on and so forth. So I'll take a pause there. Do you have any other follow-ups, Glenn or Tim? Yeah. Do we, can someone describe what we do in terms of getting involved with campaigns? Cause we do, we do get involved with the campaigns and, and I think that's an, also an important part of that relationship building. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the political action committee process and, and, and making campaign contributions to members is, is part of, of, of the democratic process and the political process. And there, there are caps on, on the amount of money that PACs can give each candidate. Uh, so it makes it fair among all, but it's something that you want to, and CEA wants to, um, support members who support their issues. That makes sense. You want to help them get elected. Campaigns are expensive. I mean, going on TV, the radio, print, um, it all costs money. So you want to, you, you know, you, meaning not just CEA, but other advocacy groups and other associations, you know, they want to, they want to support people who support their issues. And that's not to say they're going to support all your issues. Um, you know, you, you would hope that they would at least have an open mind and an open door policy to at least have the conversation on why, um, you believe something, uh, is good for the state. And, so. and you make a, a point where the campaign is something that costs money. So you're, you have to have those issues highlighted, um, to be supportive of those issues. And that's what the PAC money does. If you're supportive of construction, you're going to highlight those in your commercials or economic development. And that gets the message out. So the other part of this is sort of the aligned interest, right? Um, it's not just CEA, it's not just a legislator, but there become other advocacy groups, which we work with and largely Paul and Chris on our behalf, others at the state of Ohio, uh, who are kind of in a aligned construction arena. Um, describe that process of, again, not just your efforts, CA efforts, member efforts or legislators, but what about the uh, allied industries and organizations? With any issue, the more supporters of the issue, the better. They can have contact with other legislators that maybe are not in geographic region of other associations they have a different perspective Uh, so building those relationships again glenn which you hit on earlier is so important to have those relationships with other trade organizations other uh, labor groups 
uh, business groups so that as these different issues come up, an association may be on your side on five issues and maybe against you on two, but the uh, joy of politics is then working with that group on those four or five issues that you can agree to uh, take the ball and run with. So it, it's extremely important, and you're able to also share knowledge back and forth with those associations, but also with the legislature. Yeah, that's one thing that CEA and with, with us working with CEA identified very early in our engagement with CEA was at, at, in the early 2000s, there were many issues, and I'll just, there was a prevailing wage issue, and the state of Ohio was looking to uh, either eliminate prevailing wage or increase the thresholds for prevailing wage. And we were talking internally about you know, fighting this battle, and somebody had the idea of, well, there's other groups out there on, on, the, on the business side, the construction side, and labor side who are also fighting this issue. So why don't we all work together and form a loosely, a loose-based coalition and share coalition, and, the, the famous coalition, Paul. The famous coalition, the construction industry coalition, which to this day I still share. Um, and we still we still meet and we still discuss issues that are going on in Columbus and around the state uh, to help uh, advance our message as a group. Um, as, as Chris said earlier, there's strength in numbers, and we meet and we and we and we uh, work on issues that we all agree upon. And it's been very successful, and it's one of the things I think CEA should be proud of as far as having that, uh, uh, the wherewithal and, and the forward thinking of let's work together instead of just having separate groups working individually. So as you were talking, uh, diverse came to my mind, right? Because there's certainly mm-hmm. diverse interest. Our state of Ohio is very diverse. I mean, our... Northeast Ohio community or Cleveland is diverse in terms of not just uh, ethnic gender uh, aspects, but interest. And I think the diverse interest is really what public policy is about, right? At the heart of it. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, it, it feels like we may have one opinion this morning today and disagree um, or agree, but this afternoon there may be on another topic, right? A different perspective or different uh, issue. So, typically in your legislative efforts, uh, which goes back to maintaining relationships, uh, seems to be a very critical part. So, how do you how do you balance uh, that with uh, the emotions that may be around one t- piece of legislation or issue, and how do you live another day? Live another day. I was thinking the same thing. Um, Chris, you want to start? You want me to start? Sure. I think that the scenario there is you engaged, you're focused, you've already built that relationship with the legislator so that you can talk brass tacks on these issues that are important. When people see CEA, they know prevailing wage, they know right to work uh, against right to work, they know uh, a myriad of issues, common sense, workers' comp, reform. Um, And so you're able to strategically have that conversation uh, with that rep or senator or executive official. And they know kind of going in a bit because of those established relationships 
Um, and they understand that there's an ability that today we are going to be with you on X issue, but tomorrow it may not. So it's, it's kind of, again, maintaining those relationships to have the ability to have those frank conversations when tough policy decisions are made. I think that's a big component of it. Sure. So Chris and Paul, talk a little bit about, um, you know, we have a legislative committee uh, here at CEA that Tim described earlier meets quarterly, uh, typically right before the CEA board meets. And how important, and, and, you know, do you find that legislative committee to be and kind of describe uh, kind of what that process is? Because we'd want others, uh, members of CEA in particular, to uh, be educated, to be involved, to be informed. Um, talk about the importance of the legislative committee for CEA and members being it's, involved. It's, it's the backbone of, of, of the program. I mean, without the, without the volunteers who, who uh, come to that uh, legislative committee, um, we don't have uh, really good direction on um, the positions that we're taking as, as an organization on legislation. I mean, and I think Chris said earlier, it's, it's, it's about the people who are doing the work, the, the, the companies who see it day to day and who are struggling with certain parts of the law or would like something, uh, uh, part of the law to be, uh, changed. And we can't get that information because we don't own construction companies. Um, we, right. we, you know, the, the value that, that I get and that we get from having the conversations, whether it's before the committee starts, during the committee or after about what's really going on on job sites and what's in their businesses is, is just, you can't replace it. And it's something that, you know, I would stress the members, CA members who are listening to this to get involved, uh, to find out what's going on uh, at the state level and the local level, because it's going to affect your bottom line. In your business, um, issues are, are being um, offered and, and introduced every day that that means something to you and your employees. So you know it's it's definitely there's some some time uh, that's put in by the members who attend these meetings. And as Glenn mentioned, you know it's we meet quarterly and we discuss legislative issues and other issues going on within the state of Ohio. We get feedback. We sometimes have uh, uh, speakers come in from the General Assembly or from from local government to uh, have more of a roundtable conversation about what's going on. And I just think the more that you're involved and the more that you know what's going on with with state and local government, I think it's just better for your business. Um, And it's something that we depend upon to – to do our jobs. So we're recording this on July 22nd, um, fairly late in the year to have just finished a, uh, a, an Ohio budget legislation, right? And can you, and we've, this is the third budget approved this year under this general assembly. Can you guys describe uh, that process? What, what in the new budget in terms of policy was important to contractors? I'll, I'll start with why it was a little late. So um, the state of Ohio, they must, um, the legislature must deliver a state budget, a, a two-year appropriation budget 
to the governor for his signature for her signature by the end of June, by June 30th, because we run on a fiscal year that starts July 1. Um, we have a first-term governor here, Governor Mike DeWine. We have a first, uh, well, not really a first-term speaker, but a speaker who was speaker years ago and is now the current speaker of the House. So in his first budget in a while, and then you have a Senate president who is in his last budget um, because of term limits. Um, Governor DeWine took the the full amount uh, available to him to, to get his bu- budget introduced, and um, it took some time to get it done through the House. They got it over to the Senate a little bit later than usual, and then um, the negotiations went past the June 30th deadline, so they had a, a continuation budget, which they just uh, the governor just signed on July 17th. Um, so, you know, and there's other dynamics on how, you know, to get the appropriate votes from both the House and the Senate, especially on the House side, because you had a Speaker of the House who was elected Speaker with a lot of Democrats supporting him, which is, again, unusual, where um, there was a, where mainly and mostly uh, the Speaker is, is um, elected by his his caucus and this this go around um, speaker householder um, had Democrats who supported him so they played a bigger role <coughs> excuse me what is the breakdown played, what is the breakdown in the house Chris you have that in front of you it's um, 61 38 61 yep. Republicans and 38 Democrats and then in the, in the Senate it's a 23 10 margin. Republican. Mm-hmm. So this year, uh, on the, with the state budget, um, the, the House Democrats, led by uh, uh, Leader Amelia Sykes from Summit County, played a large role in 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 uh, shaping this two-year budget. And the numbers kind of play out on the amount of Democrats that voted for this budget. So. As far as issues are concerned, Chris, do you want to hit yes. on a couple of them? So the budget is thousands and thousands of pages. Um, thousands of amendments uh, are brought up uh, and debated. Very important issue this budget cycle was there was a mentorship program that would have allowed 16 and 17-year-olds on construction sites. And the idea is try to get young people involved in jobs in general throughout Ohio. And so it was a manufacturing and construction internship for minors. And the concern became, as you look at construction, it is different than any other business. And so you had provisions in this proposal to allow 16, 17-year-olds on construction sites. You had specific tools that could be used, couldn't be used, that would made by rule. You had mandated training. You had the ability to have civil penalties. And as this was looked at, uh, it just did not make sense to run in that fashion. So In the construction industry. Correct. And so as this was debated, the construction component, uh, there was discussions, let's just take this out and look at 
other programs or uh, abilities to do this uh, that already may be occurring. So this was into the budget, out of the budget, back in the budget, and um, with a lot of hard work and CEA's effort, other groups' efforts, uh, this was removed from the final version of the budget. And the concern, as your listeners that are contractors well know, is this could have put liability on everyone at the job site, the owner, the contractors, the subcontractors. It could have jeopardized insurance coverage. It could have weighed into BWC and ratings and how that impacts the day-to-day. So again, something here, a kind of coming back full circle of, uh, well, maybe well-intended um, because your members are experts. The association is an expert on the issue. Uh, just not practical in this fashion to be applicable to construction. And well, unlike a manufacturing context where a single employer controls their work site, their, their workplace, that's not the case in construction. You have different contractors on the job site at the same time around whose employees are in close proximity with each other working with dangerous tools and equipment and large heavy equipment in a lot of cases and um you know it's just not a good idea to have minors under the you know age of consent of 18 years old on the job site around those conditions agree completely and again this was a point where the expertise of the construction contractors and the ability to weigh in at the right time um, is kind of the quintessential scenario of why this is so important and the legislative committee is so important and the timing and the connections and the relationships to have those candid conversations uh, with people that have been supportive and not supportive, but on this this issue, um, with all the hard work, we were able to uh, get a coalition together to make sure that this in this form was not in the bill. And youth outreach is super important to what we do and to our industry. The the manpower shortage that we're currently currently dealing with, with the amount of act- economic activity going on, and we have uh, robust programs for youth outreach and youth internships. Um, that's you know a good a good reason why it's good to have those relationships because it's not about denying people opportunity it's about the right opportunity yeah absolutely in the right way right yeah absolutely i mean we we think about the you know i was thinking the differences between manufacturing which is a pretty static go to a machine and there's a process that's pretty routine our industry may have processes routine but the job site changes as the building progress evolves so it's not a consistent Mm-hmm. Even the consistency of contractors who are in and out of a job, there's a lot of moving uh, different uh, scenarios that you can see where liability um, and uncertainties uh, certainly occur. Uh, you know, the the workforce component of our industry, I mean, workforce is without workers, right? We can't. Nothing gets done. Nothing gets done, right? Mm-hmm. You can't. You don't have a business. <clears throat> and we do rely upon future workers, right? And so there are a number of programs uh, that CA and others are involved in, in terms of providing exposure, context, experience, um, and a defined career pathway, right? So not, Tim, we talk about all the time, construction is not meant to be a job. It's really meant to be a career. And so 
through the process which CA and its you know union labor apprenticeship program partners have been involved for hundreds of years. It's been a pretty uh, consistent process that has served our industry and our in our community well. Mm. Um, and we are doing a number of programs in high schools and. You know, Chris and Paul have been helpful in making some connections with the governor's office of workforce transformation and department of education and, and others that we're educating and informing them about our industry and best practices and processes and what we're already doing. Um, it really is uh, educating a number of prospective workers really with our own resources, right? So we're not relying upon government to fund us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have employers and owners and associations who are uh, lending their time, talent, and treasures to develop uh, robust programs that can serve youth, can serve young adults, and serve adults really just to support our industry. So, um, you know, Chris, uh, you know, I'm reminded of meetings we've held with the Department of Education and opportunities to bring up training coordinators from around the state who are teaching young people, right? And so several years ago, the curriculum in most vocational schools was all residential. Uh, mm-hmm. Recently, in the last several years, it's a greater home, appreciation. Home construction. Right, home construction, right. right. A, gr- a greater appreciation for commercial. And uh, both our, our members, our uh, training centers have gotten more involved in working with this Department of Education and ensuring that curriculum and understanding and instruction happens at that high school level. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this minors in construction bill, it, it wasn't even a bill. It was in the budget initially, right? Correct. Which is a big point why uh, it's important for constru- um, contractors to get involved in our advocacy efforts because, you know, had a legislature not known that issues like this were important to us and not had a connection with us, the industry, and our allies in the industry, it would have went right through. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, legislation through the budget is is pretty common these days, and, and that's always been as as Glenn you talked about some of the kind of past battles, but that's been as Paul talked about prevailing wage um, has always been something that has been um, attempted to be slipped into the budget to increase thresholds and or reduce enforcement interested parties and and that's a tribute to a lot of hard work over the years um, with CEA of at one point the threshold was supposed to be uh, they wanted to raise it to five million dollars to the threshold then a a million and with uh, intense effort and member interaction and CEA leadership uh, breakfasts lunch Traveled to Columbus multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, letters. Making a business case for why prevailing wage is important to it, Ohio businesses. The threshold was then staggered and was in the you know two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand dollar range, um, and that's much different than five million. So again, that's something that occurs in the budget um, in the past, and that's why being vigilant and having engaged members is so important with the legislative committee. What else was important in the uh, budget that was just passed? The income tax deduction for small businesses. This was uh, $250,000. Business entities were allowed to um, have that deduction 
this became a major, one of the major issues uh, with the budget and part of the reason the budget went over um, its time frame. And it, the one chamber, the House, had taken it out, made some different changes. The Senate put it back. And CEA's effort, other business groups around the state, um, this was able to be maintained um, at that level, the two hundred $250,000 level. So that, that case, I mean, that is one of the cases that was made. And thankfully, um, at the end of the day, uh, that case won out. What other priority issues are you guys working on for CEA? Well, the big one is allowing um, for associations like CEA to pool their resources uh, to be to be self-insured in the workers' comp space. Uh, a bill was introduced last General Assembly that would have allowed that, um, and it did not uh, pass before the end of uh, last year. So you know, we've done a lot of legwork on this bill already um, as far as talking to interested parties, to the administration, to various legislators about uh, a different approach with this legislation on create by creating a a work group to to um, come up with the program and to develop the program that which would be led by the Bureau of Workers Comp and then um, have a test case scenario or pilot program if you will that CEA would run this this pilot and we would show um, any naysayers that this can be a success in the state of Ohio so that's one of the issues we're going to really start ramping up and getting a bill introduced uh, sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another issue that we're we're working on that we we were happy that uh, uh, has been introduced already is the the ban on the marketing sale and manufacturing of synthetic urine uh, and uh, this would be uh, done because we don't want people to try to uh, get around uh, drug tests by uh, submitting not their sample urine, but synthetic and, and going to job sites and potentially hurting their fellow workers. So mm-hmm. that's a bill that's been introduced and that's had a hearing already. And we hope that it uh, makes its way through uh, the general assembly before the end of next year. And then finally, um, we're working on, on legislation that would uh, would make uh, would would make changes to the prompt pay law in the state of Ohio, where under current public law, uh, the owner has uh, or public projects, excuse me, the current owners have 30 days after the invoice to pay the prime, and then. The prime to the to the sub is ten days, and the sub to the lower tiers is another ten days. Uh, at the on the private level for private construction, there's no provision, and we'd like to see that change to make it consistent with the public uh, construction law, where the owner would have thirty days to pay the prime, unless otherwise agreed to by the owner in in the prime not to do that. So mm-hmm. those are three issues that we'll be working on hard for the next uh, year and a half. Glenn, there's there's also some activity going on regarding the state's EDGE program. What is the EDGE program? So the EDGE program was, um, Chris and Paul, you can correct me, but a 
program policy that was implemented under former Governor Taft, and it is uh, encouraging growth, encouraging diversity growth um, from a business standpoint. And it was created um, probably 11, 12 years ago and had not had um, probably much, I'd say, in my words, attention given to it in terms of its process and some of the um, rules or regulations that were to have been applied. Uh, one of those was a 10-year graduation requirement that once you'd been in the program for 10 years, um, you needed to have basically graduated. And um, it came to light late middle of last year that uh, that policy had not been enforced and had not been looked into and became a major uh, topic of concern on a couple of ways. And one is maybe why wasn't there a, you know, administrative process in play, but equally as important if all of a sudden there became a pairing of the roles and the number of edge businesses eliminated with one swoop at one time without there being sufficient transition or opportunity that would have had a huge impact both upon those individual businesses but also upon the industries, and in our case, construction industry, which um, needs viable, qualified, uh, small businesses to so what perform is, work. Sorry, what what is the program? What what benefit do you have by becoming an edge contractor? So essentially, um, there are uh, goals, requirements, if you will, that five percent of um, some contracts within the state of Ohio have a need to have edge firms um, fulfill that 5% of a, of a goal. So if it's a, you know, a million dollar project that they need to ensure that 5% of that million dollars goes to an edge firm. And so the process is you, if you fit the criteria of being kind of basically a small uh, diverse a business that you would apply for the certification through the state of Ohio. You'd be granted a edge status and that status would stay with you for 10 years in which you could then uh, provide services or supplies. If that's the, the case to um, any of the state projects, the um, program has worked well um, in some respects for um, at least again, our industry in terms of, being able to assist small businesses have an opportunity to gain work that they may not normally have access to. So it does provide a incentive, a boost, an opportunity for businesses that might not otherwise be considered mm-hmm. to be considered and to, to gain work. Mm-hmm. And so what interests are we advancing in discussion of how to modify the EDGE program? Well, there are several scenarios that you know, uh, one is the graduation requirement, that 10-year period, right? Does it, because you've been certified for 10 years, um, if you're still viable, if there's still a need, um, why should there just be a mandatory cutoff at 10 years? And so our thoughts have been to not make it a uh, 10-year mark, but to try to advance it more from a opportunity to um remain a small business. And if you're under, you know, a threshold of in kind of a line, maybe with the small business administration's policies where 
Um, if you're still under making whatever, $25, $26 million in, in sales in that respect, in that respective category, that you would not just automatically be graduated because you reached the 10 year mark, right? So it's more tied to what the business opportunity has been for you as a business. Uh, because just because you're certified may not necessarily mean that you get initially uh, a lot of work or contracts. And so mm-hmm. there's no reason to just say 10 years, especially if there's not been um, really a development, which is again, the encouraging growth part of this. Well, if I'm a small business owner, I certainly understand the benefit of keeping my edge certification. But if I'm a large company, why would I be interested in this position? Yeah, You want to ensure that those qualified businesses which have experience uh, that are serving your business or your industry and your projects, uh, that you're still able to uh, retain uh, uh, qualified businesses and individuals at, as a small business, really, because that's what we're really talking about at the end of the day. It's a small business topic or issue. Um, so not, I can keep doing business you, with the exactly. trusted partners. With the trust, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think another one is there are topics like, you know, the um, personal net worth was $750,000. And typically your personal net worth is very much tied to your capability to get a performance bond or mm-hmm. surety bond, right? And so um, that cap also would limit those businesses that might have broader reach or broader opportunity to service an industry. And just because of the, the personal net worth clause or category. And so we've really advocated and had a couple of different study groups, um, uh, meetings with um, uh, administration and elected officials and other associations to try to help advance the importance of maintaining and even making adjustments to a program um, which will serve the industry well, both small businesses and large businesses and construction projects throughout Ohio. Mm-hmm. Is it, it's not a simple issue. And, and really, a lot of these issues are not simple that we deal with in our advocacy efforts. And that's why it's important to get that business business input from our members. Paul, okay. do you have some things to add? I was there? just going to say that, you know, the last thing I would leave uh, CEA members who are listening to this podcast uh, is to, you know, to get it, be active, to be involved as much as you can. Whether, you know, if you can't make the four meetings, can only make two or three of them, you'll still be part of, of, of our process and, and the solution that we're trying to provide members of the General Assembly. We, we definitely uh, need your help and want your help and want your input, and it's important. And we've discussed all state issues so far today, but there are a good deal of local issues that come up all of the time, uh, regularly, including um, you know, county governments or city governments that that uh, get involved in our industry and try to make policy that it will impact our contractors. And uh, also federal issues, although our political action committee is not aimed at federal issues and, or candidates, our legislative committee does discuss federal issues. Um, last week we, we had an issue discussed on the podcast or two weeks ago regarding national legislation or policy making that could affect apprenticeships in the construction industry. And we are seeking member feedback in the form of comments to the Department of Labor concerning that proposed legislation. So just some examples of what we get involved with. And you learn a lot when you show up 
to um, the meetings. So, gentlemen, thanks a lot. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Great topic. Great opportunity, I think, for us to uh, truly show the work with CA and our advocacy partners are really doing. Email Glenn or I if you want to get involved, and we will be glad to get you involved. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.